Luke chapter 19, if you'll turn there in your scriptures tonight, I want to read a text that should be very familiar to you, but I'm going to come at it from a different perspective than perhaps you've heard that Taylor fits it for our missions month and the emphasis on Sunday mornings and the opportunities I have on the Wednesday night. Um, I'm, going to, I'm preaching a series called The Mission of Must, and what's going to be true this past Sunday morning and all the Sunday mornings and even a few of the Wednesday nights is the word must and how it relates to the mission that Jesus was on. And if possible, if we get that far, even the parallel life and mission that the Apostle Paul had. In the Gospel of Luke, from the very beginning, where Jesus said to his parents in Luke 2.49, Did you know I must be about my father's business? Or as one translation, don't you know I must be in my father's house? to the mission statement of Jesus said that I, I must go to all the cities and villages of Israel because this is the purpose for which I was sent. Chapter 9 and verse 22, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be beaten and then crucified. Later on in chapter 13, verses 32 and 33, he says, I must go to Jerusalem because it can't be that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. And then we get to uh, this chapter, chapter 19, and part of that mission of must, in fact, what's called the travel narrative in the middle of it when Jesus is making his last journey to Jerusalem because his mission is to die there and be raised again from the dead to complete his mission of must. In the middle of that scenario is where we find our text. So what you ought to do tonight is realize that all of the stories in Matthew 9 through 19 until the triumphal entry should be understood in the shadow of the cross because that's exactly what all of these stories are just on the way Jesus makes stops goes through places on his way to die on the on Calvary for our sins and so please understand the story of Zacchaeus in that way as I read Luke 19 says verse 1 he entered Jericho and was passing through why we all know now right passing through to where well, he was going to Jerusalem, and you can read that at the end of our story. Um, verse 11, as he heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. That's where he's going. That's where all of these stories find their context. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Same Zechariah, Zedekiah, they all have the same root. Believe it or not, it means righteous one. Hard to imagine how difficult his parents <laughs> would have thought naming Zacchaeus the righteous one, and he turns out to be anything but that. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. They go hand in hand. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now that doesn't seem like much, but read all the stories of people in almost all the Gospels, and very little is ever told about the personal appearance of anybody who Jesus met or healed other than if they were blind they were blind they were lame they were lame but it doesn't tell anything about their physicality other than what they were needed healed of but it is in Zacchaeus's case he is small of stature so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree which is a very fat tree really low to the ground and the branches go really wide full of leaves so you could actually be on a long branch which is thick and you could be hardly visible to anybody else, but you could be hardly off the ground at the same time. It was probably a great thing. I mean, maybe he was seven or eight feet off the ground at the most, 
So when Jesus passes by, he didn't look up in the top of the tree. He looked up, I mean, within a couple of feet, and there was Zacchaeus right there. But to be able to, the point is, a lot of leaves, Jesus had to know he was there because it would have been easy to miss him, especially when he's been thronged by a crowd. So he ran on ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Here's our phrase, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus was on a mission of must. He was going to die on the cross. Watch. But he had time for Zacchaeus. In fact, I'm going to show you later how these two connect, that the mission in Jerusalem to die on the cross was all about people like Zacchaeus. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, meaning the crowd. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, now that's how the story started in verse 2. You notice the little block, the framework? Behold, verse 2. And he says, now a different one. Now Zacchaeus is said about Zacchaeus in the first time. Now it's said by Zacchaeus. In verse 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, which was the Levitical law. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So let me tell you, I'm going to give you the straight outline, the big idea of what I'm going to say tonight, and that is Jesus' mission of must is a search and rescue mission, right? I want you to think of missions and evangelism tonight in that vein, that Jesus' mission of must, and if you join him on it, which I hope that we all do, not only individually but corporately as a church, that we would consider it a search and rescue mission. Now, now why do I say that? Because here's Jesus' personal mission statement. I came to seek and to save the lost the lost. How many of you have ever lost anything? Raise your hand, come on. How many of you have lost your keys? How many of you have lost your keys today? <laughs> okay, how many of you, be honest, because I'll tell you, there's someone in my house, and they're both feminine, and they're seated next to each other tonight in the service, but I'm not going to mention names. How many, of the, how many of you lose your phone on a fairly regular basis? You don't know where it is, you put it down. How many of you love the feature that you can push the little dinger and it makes the phone, wherever it is, go off? You have that on your phone? Yes, we use that constantly in our house. Set your phone down, don't know where it is. Now, now Luke, Luke, you look through Matthew, Mark, and John, they have one or two mentions of the word lost. Luke has a bunch of them because... Luke is about lostness. He is all about it. In fact, you know these. I'll just refer to them in your mind. Luke 15, Jesus talks about lostness in three parables. The lost, what? Coin, the lost, and the lost son. Today it would be modernized. It would be the lost keys, the lost wallet, the lost phone. That would be the three that we would do, right? But it's all about lostness, and he talks about lostness. And in the beginning of the chapter, though, he talks about lostness, and in verses 1 and 2 says, And all the tax collectors and prostitutes gathered around Jesus to hear what he had to say. And then it says, The Pharisees and scribes didn't like it because Jesus, 
hung out with lost people. In Luke 7.34, Jesus is described as friend of tax collector and sinners. So in Luke's mind, when you put these passages together about lostness, one of the things that you learn is about what makes someone lost. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, and it would be easy to think it if you read this isolated from all the other texts about lostness, you would think that Zacchaeus became lost when he became a tax collector because it was awful. He was a social outcast. He, he uh, defrauded people. Obviously, he mentions that himself. He was the lowest person on the totem pole. Um, it was bad. He couldn't vote. He couldn't have a testimony in court. Tax collectors were about the most despised people there were and actually was a danger to be a tax collector. So let me tell you this. He didn't become lost when he became a tax collector, right? He is not, let me tell you this. We are all born lost, right? We are all born lost and we need to be found. All of us. All of us are born that way. It doesn't matter whether you're a tax collector or a doctor, whether you're moral or immoral, religious or irreligious. What we learn from the text is lostness is universal. It, it describes all of us, tax collectors and the like. Now, in New Jersey, they have something. You, you can actually be a part of it, but it's going to take commitment. And I even copied it off because I'm going to read it to you because I want you to hear this and, and to me, when I read it, it sounded like they were describing what a church should be. But it isn't. It's the NJSAR. And that stands for New Jersey Search and Rescue. Um, and here's what it says. New Jersey Search and Rescue is always looking for new members. We're doing that, right? Now, it says this. All, I love this phrase, mission-ready members. That is everyone here tonight, I hope. If it's not, I'm going to tell you how you can become a mission-ready member. Here's what they say you have to, and I love this, I didn't make this up. Each member must, that's their word, prioritize the demands of work and family as appropriate. In other words, you're going to, if you're going to be a mission-ready member, you're going to have to tell your family sometimes, I can't spend time with you. You're going to have to, because pri- you, you may have to take off of your job. Because in other words, to do this job, you're going to have to probably rearrange your schedule and, and it's going to be inconvenient sometimes. Sound familiar? It says, these people should have a passion, a desire to help others. They have to be willing to do it in all weather conditions. And then it says this, know this, if you become a member in one of the search and rescue teams, you have to have impersonal training, monthly general meetings, monthly drills, and even evening and weekend classes. We have evening and weekend classes. Candidates have to attend 10 to the 12 monthly greetings, uh, meetings, 10 of the 12 monthly drills. In other words, they demand that you show up. Amazing. To become a mission-ready candidate, And it says, all members are volunteers. No one's forced to do it, but there will be reoccurring training expenses. In other words, it's not just your time. You're going to have to spend your money on it. It is a serious financial and time commitment. That's what it, listen, that is what New Jersey says, that if you're on a search and rescue mission to just save lost people who are lost physically, imagine what it should be if you are on a mission to save, search and rescue lost people spiritually. So I've deduced this. The church is God's 
search and rescue team. That's what we are. That's what it means to be the church. We are God's search and rescue team. There are scores of them, and they are inspiring on a, you know, on a worldly level, but they're on any level, truthfully. But I read a bunch of them. There was a guy named Joe, and this is how they described him. I'm, I don't know his last name. Joe and his son, they said Joe Jr., and they were on a trip, and they were going out on icebergs and looking at stuff, and they were on a piece of, a big piece of ice, and they were taking pictures and stuff, and while they were out in the middle of the piece of ice, it actually broke off from the rest of it and starts floating away from the shore, and they couldn't get back in time to get back on the land. And so they're by themselves, the two of them, and they float off. This is a very, very big piece of ice they were on. So they showed pictures of it. They actually built a little igloo on it because when night came and no one else knew they were there, I mean, didn't, didn't really know right away, it was going to be really, really cold, you can imagine. This is up in the Antarctica area, right? So they're building this little igloo and they make it and they go inside of it and they were there for two and a half days. Someone finally realizes they're not there so they send a helicopter search and rescue. And they come out there, and the helicopter's kind of moving in and, and coming in through the valley to get to where they are. And the helicopter blade hits the ice on the side of one of the icebergs and crashes the helicopter of the search and rescue team. And only the guy who piloted it is able to swim out of the water and get to where they are. And they pull him up, and they said, come on, we'll take you into our igloo. <laughs> So they take them into the igloo and they kind of warm them up and everything. And so they're back to square one. And now it's two and a half more days. So they finally fly another helicopter in who takes a different route and comes in and they're finally rescued. I mean, story after story of the people who are on a search and rescue team risking their lives, doing things, all kinds of things. I mean, such dangerous things to rescue people who are lost. I have found and thought that lostness is kind of a scary thing, but you know, in our day, lostness is kind of like a moneymaker and must sound like it's thrilling. Have you ever seen, remember the TV show, People My Age? Remember Lost in Space? You remember that? Remember I like to do this one? Will Robinson, Danger, do you remember, remember that show? Lost in Space. I think they're trying to remake it recently, right? And then the TV show, Lost, these people get on an airplane, they get lost on an island and, and a bunch of stuff like that. And then you have the lost world. Remember they recreate the world of dinosaurs and all the crazy stuff. That go, I mean, lostness is big business nowadays. And, but truthfully, when you look in the Bible, lostness is, anything, lostness is anything but fun or anything but exciting in those types of ways. But when you look at Jesus, and, and I did, I found this, that he doesn't see Zacchaeus as a tax collector or as the crowd said, a sinner, or that he was short. He didn't look at him as socially tax collector. He didn't look at him physically short. He didn't even look at him as a sinner morally. You know what he says? I've came to seek and to save the lost. That's how Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Not all the other things that everybody else saw. He saw him as lost. Every Hear me, every single person that you meet this week, come in contact with, known or unknown to you, are in two one or two categories. They are either lost or they are found. And there is no other category. They either know Jesus and headed to heaven 
or they don't know him, they're lost and headed to hell. See, it's only those two categories. And Jesus sees people and knows which one they're in. He understands that. And so he goes after Zacchaeus. It was a must to him. Why does he do it? Let me give you a little theological lesson. In 19.3, in our text, if you look there, the same word is used in 19.3 and 19.10. And that's the word seek. And here's what it says about Zacchaeus. He was seeking to see Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't explain why he was seeking. I'm, I'm guessing perhaps because Jesus was famous by now because his ministry is almost over. He's been very popular for three years. One of his disciples is Levi. Jesus' ministry in Luke starts in chapter 5, 4 and 5, and ends here in chapter 19 publicly. And it both starts off with tax collector stories, calling Levi, saving Zacchaeus. And maybe Zacchaeus heard that, hey, Jesus is different kind of rabbi. He even has a former tax collector as one of his disciples. I don't know if that you know, made him excited. I don't know if he heard maybe that Jesus, if you look at the chapter before this, Jesus is on his way into Jericho. Two blind men, one of them's named Bartimaeus, is sitting by the side of the road, and he, he heals both of them, and now they can see. I don't know if that got back to him before Jesus got into town. And so he says, dude, if this guy can heal people, I, I want to see him. I, I don't know because the Bible doesn't say. But I know this, he was seeking Jesus. Theologically, though, if you read Romans 3.11, it says there is none that seeks after God, not one. So whatever the reason was, he wasn't seeking Jesus as Messiah. He wasn't seeking Jesus because he thought he was a sinner and needed a savior. That's not why, he, but he was seeking him, but not for the right reasons, whatever they were. They may not have been bad reasons, but they weren't the right reasons. On the other hand, at the end of our passage in verse 10, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the one coming to seek and to save that which is lost. Can I tell you the first point about our mission of must if we follow with Jesus? We seek lost people. You know why? Because if we're not, no one else is. And they aren't either. Lost people don't seek God. They don't. Parable of the lost son. The reason why Jesus tells the older son who's upset that the father so easily forgave and restored the younger son is your, older, your younger brother, here's what he says at the end in verse 32, Luke 15. He, your brother was lost but now he is found. And then he says, as Hebrew people do, a second way that's different, but it means the same thing. He's telling you what lost and found means. He says he was lost and now he's found. And then he says he was dead and now he is alive. That's what lost people are. Dead. Dead spiritually. They don't have any feeling for God. They don't have any desire for God. They don't want God. And that's why the mission of must is a search and rescue mission. That was my big statement. Remember at the beginning? Why? Because lost people need seekers. Sunday morning, I'm preaching on John 4, the woman at the well. And there's three musts in that passage. And the one is the woman, Jesus is talking to her, and he says there's coming a time, the hour is coming, and now is when those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and truth. And then Jesus says, and such are the ones the Father is seeking to worship him. 
Jesus is only doing what the Father has shown him. God is a seeking God. He is a missionary God. He is taking the initiative. We love him because he first loved us. God is the initiator. He is the seeker. He's the one who comes after us. Listen, we cannot just wait. It's a good prayer. It's a good thing. We cannot just wait to say, God, put people in my lap. God, put people in my life so I can give them the gospel. It's a great prayer. I pray it, but it's, not ha- it's only half of what we should be doing. We cannot wait for God to spontaneously lead someone, and the only time we talk to him is if he arranges it. The one thing about missions of must, right, and people in it is that Jesus makes these appointments. He makes them. Verse 5, Jesus says, and when he, it says of Jesus, when he came to the place, to tapas in the Greek, here's what, why I say it. It's used five times, and every single time in Luke's gospel it's used, it's always referring to some exact location. The first time it's used in chapter 4 is that the exact split place, Jesus turned in the scroll when he's in the synagogue preaching to the place where it says, the exact reference on a page, and then he reads it the year of Jubilee. All the other ones, including this one, are exact locations of where Jesus, he went to the place in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a specific place where Jesus would go, he would stay and sleep overnight, and he would pray at this location. And that's why Judas knew exactly where to lead the soldiers to find him, because he went to a, he didn't just go, Garden of Gethsemane is fairly big, especially the whole area of Mount of Olives. It's a very big place. Judas didn't have to guess where he was because Jesus went to the place. They crucified him, Luke says, at the place of the skull. There was only one mountainside that had a skull-looking impression in the rock formation. It's still there to this day. And he knew exactly where it was. Everybody knew where it was. Jesus, it said, went to the place where Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus could have been in the highest branch. Jesus knew where he was. Why? He planned it. He was intentional about it. Can I tell you, spontaneous witnessing and evangelism is great. Intentional and purposeful evangelism is better. Jesus said this, I have to go, I must go through Samaria, John 4, 4. I have to. Why? There was one woman at a well he had to reach. I have to go through Jericho, and I have to stop at this tree, and I must stay at your house. Do you see the imperative? Jesus had time and made plans personally, intentionally, for individuals in his life. He, he didn't know them, but he, let me tell you this. He knew about them. Now, he has the advantage, obviously, of being God, but he comes up to the woman at the well, and he starts talking to her, and he knows she's had five husbands, and the guy that she lives with, you know, she, she's not even living with him, right? I mean, they're not even married. Zacchaeus, come down. He knows he's a tax clerk. He knows he has a house in time, town. The Bible knows, Jesus knows he's rich. He knows all about Zacchaeus. He never met him that I know of, but he got to know people, and when he got to know people, The Bible says he had a must in his mission for them. I call stories like the woman at the well and Zacchaeus and the man born blind and Nicodemus and all. You know what I call them? I call them SAR stories, search and rescue stories. They're all over the internet. If you're on a rescue team, you have your stories. Question tonight, do you have any? Do you have any SAR stories, 
search and rescue? Or is there anyone individually right now that you pray for every day? Someone who's lost, I pray for them by name, and I'm planning intentionally to give them the gospel. Thomas, I don't know if you're watching tonight, buddy, but Thomas got saved like four months ago. I pray for Thomas, ask Thomas out. We've gone out to lunch or dinner, somewhere in there, four or five times. And the very last time, after about a two and a half hour dinner, he accepted Christ out at Backstake, no, no, yes, Outback Steakhouse at one of the tables. But you know what? It took intentionality and purposeful over and over and over again and praying for Thomas. And Thomas's life has changed. You need, and I need, purposely to know people, know about them, get into their lives, and we need to give them the gospel because we're on a search and rescue team. Now, the must of Jericho, let me say one more thing at least. The must of Jericho is always connected to the must of Jerusalem. And you're going to see later on in Luke, he says, I had to go to Jerusalem. I had to die on the cross. It's a must. Now, here's the thing. You might say, Pastor Walker, come on, you're a pastor. You have theological training. You blah, blah, blah. You do all that. I don't, I don't know. That's very hard for me to imagine that I would ever do that. It scares me. I'm not sure if I could answer questions. I don't know how I do. And there's a lot of reasons in your mind why you probably couldn't do that. What would drive someone? What motivates them to have missions of musts and relationships with people like the woman at the well and Zacchaeus and such? Why would you do that? Well, because Jesus is, I want to say this in technical terms, he had a macro must and a micro one. And here's what I mean by that. Macro means he had a big overarching must. You know what it was? I came on this earth, Jesus was sent here on this earth to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross for sinners and rise again to be the king that God always promised Israel and the world, actually. That was the big one. That's what he's going to. He's do, right now, Zacchaeus' story is part of a big journey, the Jesus journey to Jerusalem. That's the macro story. It's that the cross is everything. That's what I'm here for. I came to die. The hour is coming. John tells every, every few chapters, the hour, the hour, the hour, till it's time for Jesus to die. That's the macro story. But underneath that is a micro story of a must that he had to see Zacchaeus. How do those connect? How does that work for you? You know why you love people like Thomas or whoever the name it is in your life? You know why that is? Because you know the macro story. Because you know Jesus died on the cross and he died on that cross for you. See, for you. See, it's the love of Jesus dying on the cross, keeping that big picture in front of us that gives us the willingness to sacrifice, the risk, the expenditure of time and money. That's what moves us to do the, macro, the micro events, the Zacchaeuses, the little events in people's lives. That's what we're supposed to be doing in, if we're following Jesus' ministry of must. Last word, and I want you to give you this, and this is um, a little bit of a Bible study homework. Two times in this text, the message is told to us that we saw Jesus give the message of must. He said, in verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house, and, and underline it, because it doesn't look like a lot, but it is, today. Today. Now watch. 9, verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today, see it again? Circle it. Today, 
salvation has come to this house. Now, those are very parallel statements. Today, I must come to your house, stay at your house. Today, salvation has come to your house. What's the only difference? I am salvation. What do you get from those two? Jesus is salvation. Follow the little word today all the way through Luke's gospel, and you'll find that the angels announce to you Christmas, ready? Unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The thief on the cross, and I'm only giving you a sampling. After this, Jesus, the thief on the cross and Jesus are crucified side by side. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the thief says, not the thief, but Jesus says to the thief, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. Why the today words all through this? Why? Because wherever Jesus is, there is salvation. And he wants you to know this. Listen, people on a mission of must, right? Every day see it as a two-day for lost people. You get that? When you're on a mission of must with Jesus, right? Those people, search and rescue people, they see every day as a two-day for lost people. See, you don't know. When you're talking to someone about Christ and you say a scripture and you give them the message of the good news, you don't know. Maybe today is their day. You don't know. I still, I tell a story. Ed Koenig, when he got saved, he came, I won't even tell you the story because I told you way too many times. But that was, the today, that was his today. After 20 years, I never knew it. Today, that was the day. You remember your today? Do you remember that? Do you remember the today that was your day that you got saved? Wouldn't you love for God to use you on a mission of must so that you could say and talk to someone, hey, I remember, remember that day that you got saved? Remember that day when you made Jesus your Lord and saved? Remember that day and he changed your life? That was there today. See, listen, that's the compelling part. When you live the macro story of the cross in light of that, See, you're going to have the micro story. You're going to have your women at the well. You're going to have your Zacchaeus stories. And you know what? You're going to have this compulsion and this urgency because today might be their day. Because everywhere you go, you take Jesus with you. And everywhere you go with him, you're taking salvation. And it might be their day. And so we're on a mission of must every single day because today might be their day right? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads tonight as we close? And I want you to do this. I want you to do what we just talked about. I want you to start practicing it before you leave. And that is this. Would you start for the rest of Missions Month, from now, here on out, the rest of time, say, God, I want to be on your search and rescue team. I thought, you know, I'd start a, a small group of Maybe one of our small groups could be called Search and Rescue Group, where they just focus on reaching people with the gospel. See, Father, say, listen, as your heads bow, I want to be on your search and rescue team. I want to be on the mission of must with Jesus. I want some search and rescue stories of my own, not for people can think something of me, but I want to be like Jesus. I want to be on his mission of must. Because you know what? There's some people that need it today. I know them. I work with them. They're my family. They're my neighbors, my friends. And so I'm going to take at least one right now, my Zacchaeus. See, and I'll, I'll see 
Zacchaeus up a tree differently because I see Jesus on a tree. And I, I want to put those two together in my mind, in my heart, in my prayers. So would you pick out, maybe God say, lay on my, and pray for that one person. And not only pray for, but listen, listen. And say, Father, I want to have a mission of must. I must stay at their house. I must get into their life this month. A text, a letter, a card, a phone call, a visit, a dinner. I am going to have a must. I am going to say, hey, we're going out. We're doing this. Because maybe this month is there today. Would you pray that way just briefly and then I'm going to close. Father, I'm so thankful that you seek lost people. Father, I believe this. If there is no seeking, there will be no saving. Father, we want the saving part, but too often we're not willing to do the seeking part. You save, we seek. And truthfully, you seek first. Father, may we be soul seekers. And even as we pray right this moment for one person who's, we pray, embedded in our hearts for this month and perhaps beyond, that we would be on a mission of must, that we would actually not only pray for them, as good as that is, but must, we must see them because we want to bring salvation through Jesus into their lives by your spirit and grace. So help us, Lord. Help us to have search and rescue stories that people that were here tonight tell even throughout this month of October and beyond because of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts right now. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and glory for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.